Well, good morning. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at South Bay Community Church. Um, I want to share with you a little bit about uh, just my journey. Uh, my dad, he attends this church, totally loves the Lord. He's all about ministry. And so when I decided that I wanted to enroll in seminary, I knew my dad would be thrilled. So when I told my dad I was going to enroll in seminary, he was not thrilled at all. And why? Well, he explained to me, he said this. It's, it's interesting how he said it. He said, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have if you lose your temperature. It doesn't matter how many degrees. You can have a theology degree, a master's degree, but, but he didn't want me to lose my temperature, my fire for Jesus, my passion for people, because sometimes you can get such a hard head that you lose the softness in your heart. And he didn't want me preaching at people from up here and not meeting with people down here. And so that became my prayer. I became determined to prove my dad wrong. And so I prayed. My, my number one prayer all throughout seminary was, God, please keep me humble and yet equip me to effectively teach your truth to your people. Please keep me humble, but equip me to teach your truth to your people. And those two things are my prayer for today, that that would be true as I speak today, that I would be humble and that I would effect, effectively teach your truth. I don't know uh, how you feel about the topic of today's message, if you knew what it was coming in. Uh, I, I have to say this is probably one of the hardest messages to preach because I realized I could get attacked from all sides. And at the same time, I realized that this might be one of the hardest messages for some of you to hear. Because I realized maybe for you it's very personal or very sensitive. Maybe you have a close friend, a close coworker who you know has same-sex attraction, who is open to you, open up to you about their homosexuality. I've talked to several people these past few weeks who have said, you know, Pastor Greg, I have a son or a daughter. I have a sister or a brother. I have a family member who is gay. And so maybe you hesitated coming today because you're not sure if you're ready to hear what, what might be said. In fact, you might be watching online and you didn't know if you should click this open. And you have this, the mouse scrolled over the Xbox right now just in case you need to close it the moment you hear something you don't want to hear. Or maybe this is really personal for you because you yourself have experienced same-sex attraction. And maybe you've come to love this church and you're afraid that because of what is said today, you might not ever want to come back. And so you're nervous. And so some of us here, you're still holding your breath. I want to encourage you, breathe. Please breathe. <laughs> I don't want you to die during my preaching. That would be terrible. But... uh if you're here today, I want to thank you for being here. If you're watching, thank you for watching. Because I, I, I know there's a lot of anxiety just coming into this moment right now. I don't, I don't know what your view of homosexuality is. And a lot of times it's kind of like we look at it as a spectrum. And maybe your stance, you stand over here and your, your conviction is, you know, the Bible is clear, it's black and white. It says what it says. And, and if people don't want to hear it, they can leave and go to a place where their ears can be tickled. It's very clear. And then some of you are over here and your position is, you know, the Bible says God loves every one of us as we are. And so we should just accept everybody and even affirm everybody because God made you that that way and he wants you to be happy 
and so do we. And you come here, you know where you stand, and you're wondering right now, where does Pastor Greg stand? What's he going to say? Or where do we stand as a church? Where does South Bay Community Church stand? And I pray that by the end of this message, you will have a clear understanding of our biblical conviction. But more than just that, I pray that you would see, as I speak, that you would see my position. And by position, I, I mean the posture in which I speak. There's a pastor, Aaron, Aaron Brock, I love how he spoke to his church. And he said, you know, we should really pay attention to, to how Jesus sat. Where did Jesus sit? And isn't that true? When you look at the Gospels, Jesus was rarely ever just standing, feet planted in the ground anywhere. Instead, we, we see him walking. He's moving toward people. He's going from region to region, whether it's to Zacchaeus up in the tree or he's going to that Samaritan woman at the well. What does he do? He approaches people, but when he reaches them, what does he do? We see him sit with them. He sits with them, and he's able to look at them in the eye and sit with them in grace rather than stand distant in judgment. And so whether it was sitting around a table with Zacchaeus or a tax collector or sitting at the well with a Samaritan woman or sometimes even getting lower and getting in the dirt with the lady caught in adultery, we see Jesus meeting people with grace and then showing them the beauty of, of his truth. And so today, I, I want to I sit, and I once heard a preaching professor say, never, ever preach sitting down. I'm going to preach sitting down today, because I want you to see visually the posture in which I speak. I, I want to, I like Aaron Brockett said, I, I want to sit like Jesus sat rather than stand like the Pharisee stood. And as I sit here, I want to imagine, I want you to imagine with me that I have a friend sitting right here in the seat who has had same-sex attraction. We'll call him Beckett. Imagine Beckett is sitting here, and as I speak to you, I want to speak recognizing a friend like Beckett who has same-sex attraction. And I pray that I would speak in such a way that, that he would be able to look at me and, and nod his head Maybe not agreeing with everything I say, but at least willing to hear what I have to say because he sees the posture of my heart. And I also want to speak to you this morning as if my king were sitting here. His name is Jesus. And I want to speak in such a way where Jesus would also hear what I'm saying and nod his head. Maybe occasionally shouting, amen, Greg, preach it. In agreement because what I'm saying is exactly what he would say. And so that's how I want to speak to you today. I pray that you would be willing to listen to this entire message and hear it in its entirety before you make any conclusions about me or about this church. But again, thank you for being here. Today we're going to talk about the question as we're in this series called Asking for a Friend. And the question we're going to answer is, can someone be gay and Christian? Because I think that kind of sums up many of the questions that people have. But I want to summarize it. Can someone be gay and Christian at the same time? And instead of trying to define what gay means, because I know that means different things in different people's minds. Does that mean homosexual attraction or orientation? Does that mean uh, a celebration of the gay lifestyle? 
Does it mean I experience desires or temptation for the, for the same sex? There could be many different ways to look at it. And so instead of trying to define what it means to be gay, I want to I spend this morning defining what it means to be a Christian. And I want to share with you three things that must be true of every single Christian. Okay, so, so here's the first thing I want to share with you this morning. If you have notes, you, you might want to write this down. But the first thing is a Christian must be convicted of sin. A Christian must be convicted of sin. I mean, isn't that true that a Christian, a Christ follower, is somebody who has been saved from sin? But for me to be saved from sin, I have to be able to call it what it is. I have to acknowledge that it's sin. So I I used to have this ex-girlfriend from years ago. This is way before Monica. And uh, (laughs) this is how dumb your pastor is, right? So, like, we're we're talking, and I... (laughs) I totally thought it was fine to say, but I, I looked at her and I said, girl, you got some thunder thighs. Can't, can, did I tell you she's my ex-girlfriend? Can I, this is for you guys, this, for the guys, this is for free. Do not ever tell your girlfriend she's got thunder thighs, no matter what. Don't tell her that. But to me, at the time, I thought it was, it was funny. I thought it was funny. Now, let's say she says to me, Greg, that's offensive. Well, she said to me, Greg, that's offensive. And what if I responded to her, no, it's not. No, she says, no, really, Greg, that hurts my feelings. I go, it's not offensive. It's funny. I don't get to decide what's offensive to her. Like, she, she says it's offensive. I have to trust her that it offends her. I don't get to decide what hurts her or not. And in the same way when we approach God, I don't get to decide what offends him or not. That's not up to me to decide. So if God says this is offensive to me, I can't say, no, it's not. And so we have to go to to God, and what does God say? So we go to the word of God, and in regards to homosexuality, there's six places in the Bible where it's mentioned. Three times in the Old Testament, three times in the New Testament, and I don't have time to go to every single passage and dissect it. So let's go to the New Testament, since a lot of people will say the Old Testament law doesn't even apply to us today. So let me turn you to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is similar to 1 Timothy 1 or Romans chapter 1. But here's what it says in verse 9. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Circle that word practice. Verse 10, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so here is a list of things that the Bible is saying these things are immoral. And these things in this list, I don't think many people would argue. I mean, Sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, drunkenness, slander, greed. Nobody would say these things are good and we should strive to live these ways. Nobody would say that. And yet, right there in this list is the practice of homosexuality. Now, I had you circle the word practice. Like Alan Iverson, let's talk about practice. Like, let's talk about practice because the Bible didn't say Homosexual attraction is a sin. It didn't say homosexual 
temptation or desires of sin. What does it say? It says the practice of homosexuality. And I want to make that very clear. How many people know that being tempted is not a sin? How do I know that? My Lord Jesus was tempted over and over again. Matthew chapter 4. And yet the Bible says, yet he was without sin. And I love how Martin Luther puts it. He says, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. In other words, you you can't control the environment around you or the things that tempt you, but you can move. And you can remove yourself and, and, and move away from the temptation. You can choose not to dwell or linger in that desire. And so it's not a sin to be tempted. And so this list of these things that the Bible considers immoral, those who do not inherit the kingdom of God are those who willfully engage in any of these sins, who willfully continually live in these sins. Why? Because when you choose that, you're living not as God is king, you're living as yourself as king. And you know that a kingdom of anybody is where that somebody reigns. And so if you're living as if you are king, that's not the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of you. And so that's what the Bible is talking about. Anybody who lives and dwells in these things as if I were king, they don't deserve the kingdom of God. And that's not isolated to the practice of homosexuality. That's any of these sins. And so I I want to point out from this passage which is also true if you look at 1 Timothy 1 or Romans 1, that we, we should never isolate homosexuality or the practice of homosexuality as if it's a sin that grieves God more than anything else that he considers immoral. If you've been here at South Bay Community Church for the past 27 years, you know we don't hold up this one particular sin as if it's worse than any other sin. We just don't do that here. But since this is such a controversial topic in our culture today, and it's, it's a question that truly friends want to know, we've made it the topic of today's message, and if I'm going to preach this message, and if I've been entrusted with the word of God to teach it faithfully, not just by man, but by my king, then I have to say what he would say, and I have to say that the practice of homosexuality is sin. There's no way around that. The Bible is very clear on that. And, and, and I don't say that just because this is what has been taught to me. And I don't say this just because this is what a church or a pastor should say. Please trust me when I say that I've studied all six passages. And not just what the Bible says about it. I've studied both sides of the argument. I know what churches say over here, and I know what churches say over there. I know that there are churches who affirm and approve of homosexual lifestyle. I know, I know that there, there, there's debate over the translation of the word homosexuality in the Bible. I know what malakoi means. I, 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 know, I know what the Bible says about arsenikoitai, which is a man laying in bed. I, I know the first century context in which they'll bring up and the, the cultural implications of that day. I know how sex was grossly exploited and, and men would take advantage of slaves and, and, and little children. And I, I know the arguments back and forth, back and forth. And I can go back and forth. And I was actually prepared to do so this morning with each of these passages. But I feel led to lead you in a different way this morning. And so I'm not, I'm not going to go there this morning. 
But let, let me just caution every single one of us here. Let me caution every single one of us here. To be aware of the schemes of Satan. Because from the very beginning, from the very beginning, he deceived men and women by this question. Did God really say? Like, like did God really say, do not eat from any tree? And I can't believe he did this, but somehow he was able to manipulate the clear command of God to men and women and get them to believe that disobeying God would not only bring about neutral consequences, as if nothing good or bad would happen, but he was able to convince them that good would come out of this. That by disobeying God, you, good, something beautiful will happen. Your eyes will be open and you'll see as God sees. Isn't that good? So did God really say... And so here we are, interestingly, in, in our world today, and the question now is, well, did God really say that homosexuality is a sin? Did he, did he really say that? And so what I want to do is let's look at what did God say? What did God say? And so we, we, we go and ask him. And bef before I, I show you what God said, let, let me... Um, let me talk about this interesting debate. They call it the debate of our generation. I, the New York Times has this great article. They call it the great schism of the 21st century. And I want to settle it this morning, right here at South Bay Community Church, the great schism of the 21st century. Church, help me out. How do you pronounce this word right here? How do you pronounce this word? Is it jif or is it gif? <laughs> I've asked people all week long, is it gif or is it gift? I asked people over 50, they said, huh? And everybody else gave me totally different answers. Is it gif or is it gift? And people debate it, and, and nobody knows the answer. But then the one who invented this, Mr. Steve Wilhite, he was actually recently rewarded at the Webby Awards, a Lifetime Achievement Award for his invention, his creation. And the Webby Awards said, whoever receives an award, you only get five words as part of your acceptance speech. So he comes up to the stage, and he had five words to share with the world. Do you know what he shared with the world? It's pronounced GIF, not GIF. So for all you GIF people, you win at life. For all you GIF people, shh. It is Jim. And so there we go. We settle the argument. We settle the, the conversation. How? By going to the creator of it. And we ask him, what did you intend? What did you intend? And so when it comes to the idea of sexuality, we go to the creator. And, and we ask him, what did you intend when you, when you created this? And so when people came to Jesus and they asked him about marriage and, and, and divorce, here's what he said to them in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 and 6. He says this, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We're talking about sexual union here. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so what Jesus does here is he's bringing them back to the creator. What did he intend when he designed male and female and when he invented sexual union? 
And it was, it was this picture of we leave our father and mother, we come together in this committed relationship, this committed union, and sexual expression should be enjoyed exclusively in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. The, the word he uses, man, anthropos, can be translated husband, should be joined together with his gune, his woman or wife. It was synonymous. So the context of marriage between a man and a woman. That is God's desire. That is his holy design and his holy desire for us. And so the question is, how do we know when something is wrong? How do we know when something is a sin? And I want to say when it's not within the bounds of God's holy design and desire for us. Right? The, the word for sin most often used in the Greek Bible is the word hamartia. And that can be literally translated missing the mark. And so here's a picture. If this is God's target for us, this is his target, his holy desire and design, then anything that transgresses that, anything that transcends, anything that misses the mark is considered sin. That's the essence of sin. We're missing God's desire for us. You know what Jesus said about homosexuality? Nothing. Search the words. He never said anything about homosexuality. Nor did he say anything about one-night stands. Nor did he ever say anything about polygamy or temple prostitution. Nor did he say anything about having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend or searching the web for pornography. He didn't say anything about those specific things. But how can we determine that any of those things are sin? When they're outside the bounds of the parameters of God's holy design and desire for us. When they miss the mark that we know that it is offensive to God. You know, it's so interesting. All my, all my children, all my three kids growing up, I don't know if this is genetic or what, but all of them growing up, they had a, a deep love for my wife's long and soft hair. Like, have you ever had children who just love to stroke mommy's hair? Like my kids, every single one, it would soothe them and it would li- literally knock them out, put them to sleep. So once they start... Stroking, they, they fall asleep. And even in the middle of the night, when they're like not even conscious, that they might start waking up and they're looking for mommy's hair. They love long and soft. That's what Evan called it, mommy's long and soft. He didn't want daddy's short and hard. He, he wanted mommy's long and soft. He wanted nothing to do with me at night. Monica was so annoyed. She wanted to, she contemplated chopping off her hair, tying it in a ponytail and giving it to them as a toy. <laughs> Here, fetch, right? Like, just to get them off, get off me. That's how much they loved it. And yet, what was interesting was there was times when I would try to put Evan in the bathtub. And he would just start kicking and screaming, no, no. Why? There's hair. In the bathtub. I'm like, bro, that's mommy's long and soft. I I thought you loved it. He's like, no, I don't want it. I don't get it out. Clean it up. I thought you loved long and soft. Only when it's in the right place. Mommy's head. Doesn't belong in the bathtub. When it's there, I don't want to see it. I don't want to go near it. And it's the same thing. In the same way, sex is a beautiful thing. The creator designed it as like a wedding gift for the married couple. Enjoy this. It is a beautiful thing, but only when it's in the parameters of God's holy desire and design. Anything beyond it is considered unholy. It's considered sin. And so 
we have to start here. Christians, we must be convicted of sin. We have to be willing to call it what it is. And I'm not just talking about what the Bible says objectively about what God considers sin. When I say we must be convicted of sin, I'm also talking about personally, I have to have an inward conviction from the Holy Spirit that what I got in me sometimes misses the mark. And if there's anything in me that misses the mark, I need to call it what it is. It's sin. It's sin. And so would we all be willing to look at ourselves and before taking any plank out of anybody else's eye, be willing to see the speck in ours and call it what it is. We must be convicted of our personal sin. Okay, secondly, not only that, but this is also true of a Christian. A Christian must carry the cross. Would you guys write that down? A Christian must carry the cross. And so can... A person be gay and Christian? How would you respond to that? And I would, I would ask another question in response. I would say, well, can a straight person be Christian? Can a person be straight and Christian? Because I believe the way you answer that question is the exact same answer for the first question. So the question is, well, then how do you become a Christian? And the answer is this. You have to have faith in Christ and Christ alone. Faith in Christ as your Lord and your Savior. That's what it takes to be a Christian. Now, the question is, what does it look like to put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior? What does that look like? So we go back to the creator, the author of our salvation. We ask him, what does that look like? He says this in Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23, he says, Then he said to them all, Whoever, circle that word, whoever, wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. In other words, he says, if anybody wants to be a true follower of, of me, of Christ, you have to deny yourself, deny your fleshly desires, and, and, and follow me if those desires rival my desires. And he uses this picture of a cross. you got to pick up your cross. The cross in Jesus' day was an instrument of death. And so what he's saying is you have to be willing to put to death your fleshly desires whenever, whenever it rivals God's desires. And be willing to deny yourself daily and follow after me. And so why is this a picture of faith? Because it's trusting. It's believing what the king says, that our best life is in following him, even if it means denying the things that this world has to offer us. Do you believe that? Do you trust? He goes on in the next verse, those who are willing to lose their life will actually find it, will actually save it. If you want to save your life, you have to be willing to lose your life. Do you trust that? That God is actually for us and not against us when he gives us these commands. And so Jesus says, we have to carry our cross. So here's, here is what is true for every follower of Christ. We have this one call in common, carry your cross and follow Jesus. We're all called to a life of sacrifice, every single one of us, a life of sacrifice and surrender to Christ as king. And if you're born with an addictive personality, then... That means I'll have to deny any sinful craving, pick up my cross and follow Jesus. If you were born in a country like Afghanistan where you can be killed for, for declaring Jesus, 
You have to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. If it would be easier to just divorce your spouse, to leave your spouse, because that makes my life more comfortable and convenient, yet the call is to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. If you have a child with special needs, maybe you have to give up a lucrative career for the sake of your faith. Maybe you're going through life single and you feel the weight of loneliness. Maybe you have to physically care for a dependent family member. And yet if we are called to this, then Jesus would say, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. We all have a cross to carry. Christopher Yuan was a man who lived full-out gay lifestyle. I mean, he was, he, he, he was doing it all, going to the strip clubs, uh, engaged in prostitution, dealing drugs, and he gets caught, and he gets thrown into prison, and he tells this incredible story how in prison he finds Jesus. He finds Jesus, and, and he, he shares how when he became a newborn Christian, he thought that that meant he would have to turn straight, that he would have to become a heterosexual. And yet as he studied the scriptures and he really read it, he had the time in prison, he realized God never said, be heterosexual for I am heterosexual. And he realized that even if he became straight and became a heterosexual, he would still have to carry his cross and deny himself. That just because you're a heterosexual doesn't mean you don't struggle with sin. That there are heterosexual sins that one must deny. And so he realized, yeah, God never said be heterosexual for I'm heterosexual. What did God say? Well, in 1 Peter 1.16, he says, be holy for I am holy. So Christopher Yuan says, you know, I realize that my goal in life is not heterosexuality and my goal in life is not homosexuality. My goal in life is holy sexuality. When it comes to sexuality, that I would be pure and live within the parameters of God's desire and design. And he boils, boils it down to this. Holy sexuality means either chastity in singleness or faithfulness in marriage. If I'm going to stay single, I'm going to remain pure. If I'm going to be married, I'm going to be faithful to that one spouse. That's holy sexuality. Either a single life or a married life can be honoring and pleasing to God, whether you have heterosexual or homosexual attractions. Will I be pure in singleness? Will I be faithful in marriage to my spouse? And so, holy sexuality is his cross to carry. And so, Christopher Yuan has chosen the life of celibacy. And for him, that's the cross he carries. And so, the question is, can a gay person be a Christian? I say in the very same way a straight person can be a Christian. If you would trust the words of Jesus, for he said himself, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Do you trust him? So we must be convicted of our sin. We must carry the cross. And then finally, this must be true of every Christian here. A Christian must care for other cross bearers. A Christian must care for other cross bearers. It just seems so unfair. I mean, what, why is it that my friend who is 
who has homosexual attraction can't get married, can't enjoy sex, can't live in romantic love the way I can as a heterosexual man. Like, it just seems so unfair. And that's what drives so many people to want to affirm it and say it's okay. And, and I feel that. I ask that question all the time. Why does it seem that, that his cross is so much heavier than my cross? And I feel the same way. My heart also breaks for the, for the Christian who was born in North Korea, yet was exposed to the gospel. But they faced the daily threat of being killed because of the gospel. They didn't choose to be born in North Korea. They didn't choose their upbringing. They didn't choose their parents. And yet they have to carry that cross. That seems so much heavier than the fact that I get to be a Christian. I get to preach the gospel here. And my life has never been threatened here in Torrance, California. Like why is his cross so much heavier than mine? What about for the Christian who grew up in a violent home? And I hear stories that break my heart where all they knew growing up was violence and anger. That's all they saw. That's all that they were treated with. And so they have this natural disposition to act out in anger and rage and violence, and yet they have to deny themselves in order to follow Jesus. That seems like such a heavy cross compared to the person who grew up in a nice, nurturing, loving home. Why is life so much more difficult for some and the call to follow Jesus requiring so much more sacrifice. And I could sit here and I could feel guilty as a heterosexual man that my cross isn't as heavy as, as the one with homosexual same-sex attraction. I could sit here and feel guilty about that or I could be moved with compassion. And that could drive me to come alongside my brother or my sister and be willing to care enough to help carry that cross away from sin and toward Jesus. We're all called to carry the cross, but we're also all called to care for other cross bearers. Look, look, look at what's required of me. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, right, anything that misses the mark, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Notice it doesn't say you who are more spiritual as if you're more spiritual for some reason. No, just if you're spiritual, meaning if the Spirit of God is at work in you, and you see a person in, in transgression, come. And what does it say? It says, keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. But check this out. Here's the call. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, carry the cross with them. Help bear that heavy load that seems way too heavy for one person to carry alone. We help each other carry the cross. And bring each other closer and closer to Jesus. As, as Christians, it is not caring and it is not loving to help someone feel comfortable in their sin. It is not loving or caring to help someone continue in sin. That's not loving. That's loving yourself because that helps you avoid conflict. But, but to be loving and caring is to come compassionately among our brothers and sisters and say, Man, that cross is so heavy. Can I help you carry that cross? Can I share your burden? And so how can we as a church family, how can we as a community come around brothers and sisters here in, in this community or even beyond, specifically those who have same-sex attraction? And I, I want to share with you two things, and there's way more than two ways, but these are two ways that God has been speaking to me lately. 
I hope it encourages you. Number one, um, be quick to listen and learn. Be quick to listen and learn. And I think we need to start by acknowledging that the topic of homosexuality isn't as simple as Christians have often made made it out to be. Like, I have to admit that if I have never experienced same-sex attraction, that I probably have no idea the challenges and the difficulty one who has had had to deal with. Like, are we willing to admit that and acknowledge that? And so before being so quick to speak and to to spit out Bible verses, I think we should be quicker to, to sit to listen and to learn, to listen to the heart of the one you're speaking with and hear their experiences, hear their trials, hear how they've been judged, hear hear how they've been rejected, hear how lonely it's been. Because I believe that the, the principle of ear for ear is true, that unless I'm willing to listen to their heart, they may not be willing to listen to what I have to say the Bible says. So would we be willing to sit, to listen, and learn? And for me, with the LGBTQ community, I'm realizing there's so much I don't know and understand. So many of you guys have seen that YouTube video. I I got to be invited to be part of this YouTube episode called Middle Ground. And they invited me to sit in this conversation with members of the LGBTQ community and members of the Christian community, and we just had conversation. And at one point in the conversation, I get asked point blank, do you believe homosexuality is a sin? And as I'm explaining my, my, my view of it and my perspective, there comes to this point in my explanation where I say, well, I don't think homosexual tendencies is a sin. And at that moment, right as I said that, I saw one of the guys from the LGBTQ community just roll his eyes and just turn and just smirk as if I had said something so ignorant. And I could just almost hear the words inside his head, here we go again, another Christian with his ignorance. And I had no idea what I had said wrong. I thought this was a good thing that you would want to hear. Well, I'm learning as I'm starting to sit and listen and learn that one thing is true is that for some people, homosexuality is an identity. Right, so when we talk about homosexuality, for, for many people, it's a topic or an, an issue to discuss. For some people, though, when we talk about homosexuality, we're talking about a person. Where their identity is found in their sexuality. And so how many times have, have we as Christians, I know I've said this so many times when I'm, I'm saying this out of a good heart, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. I mean, how many times have we said that? And what's the purpose of me saying that? I'm trying to say God loves you. God loves the sinner just like me, but he hates the sin. But for someone who identifies as gay, that's deeply offensive. Why? Because they would say, because I can't separate that from who I am. And I'm realizing that's like you coming to me and saying, Greg, you know what? God loves you. He just really hates Chinese men. Like, what? Like, so he hates me? No, he just hates Chinese men, but he loves you. But I'm a Chinese man. I can't separate that. That's in the fabric of who I am. And so when we say God loves a sinner and hates a sin, that might be a theological concept that's crystal clear to you. But unless we're willing to sit and listen and understand where a person is coming from, it doesn't matter what you say. 
Because if you're not going to listen to their heart, they're not going to listen to you. And so would we just admit that there's so much that we don't know, so we must be willing to come and sit with people, look them in the eye, and hear their heart. Then we will be more effective in what we speak. Okay, so will we be quick to listen and learn? Here's the last thing I want to share. Be a safe and sincere friend. Be a safe and sincere friend. And I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I don't have a lot of gay friends. And I find that terribly tragic. That's a tragedy to me because that limits how much I understand. That limits how much compassion and empathy I can have. And that ultimately limits my ability to come along some, so, someone in, in, in my community who has same-sex attraction. I can't care enough to help them carry that cross. And so I, w- I want to encourage us just to learn to be safe and sincere friends. So how do we do that if, if no one's ever opened up to you? Well, first, can I suggest that you never go up to somebody and ask them if they are gay or have homosexual church. Just don't ask them that. Whether they are or not, let them feel safe enough with you and trust you enough to share that with you in their time. But, but, but as, as you develop these safe and sincere friendships, can I also encourage you to pray and ask God to give you friends who aren't necessarily like you? I started praying that, realizing I don't have a lot of gay friends. And so I started praying a while ago, God, give me Give me gay friends who I can be sincere friends with so that I can just hear and understand and learn. And so two months ago, some random friend friended me on Facebook, and I don't know who he is. And I wanted to see if I had a connection, so I opened up his profile, and from his pictures, I see that we have mutual friends, and I see that he's probably part of the LGBTQ community. That would be my guess. But I added him, and he starts chatting with me, and we go back and forth, and we have this long conversation, um, and we, we're just getting to know each other. And after talking for quite a while on Messenger, he then says to me at the end of the conversation, he says, BTW, by the way, Greg, I'm gay. And I responded right away. I said, thank you for sharing openly with me. And that was it for that day. Since then, we've been talking almost daily. We just go back and forth. Sometimes it's about his homosexuality. Most of the times it's not. A lot of times it's about the church I attend. A lot of times it's, it's me sharing about my relationship with my wife and what my kids are like and him telling me about the surgery he just underwent and him telling me about what school he went to. And we're just developing this friendship. And I was so blessed when about two weeks ago, he sent me this message And I screenshotted it. I wanted to show you because I was so encouraged by this. But he says this. He says, thank you, Greg, for giving me the opportunity to share with you. I feel better after opening up. I I know I hardly know you yet, but you gave me that safe space to not be alone anymore. I said, that's awesome. We're we're building a real friendship here where, where we feel safe. This past week, I think it was like Monday or Tuesday, I didn't solicit this. I didn't invite him. But out of nowhere, he just says, hey, Greg, would it be okay if I came to your church? And I was like, this week? (laughs) Like, (laughs) he goes, no, maybe later in October. I'm like, absolutely. Come in three weeks. That would be cool. Yeah, come. No, no, whether he comes this week or in three weeks, I pray that he comes. 
And I pray that when he walks into these doors, that you, church, would love him with the sincere love of Jesus Christ. Whether you know who he is or not, whether you know his story or not, but simply because he's a human being who wants to come and, and learn about Jesus, that you would just love him. So we, we have to be willing to sit like Jesus, to be a safe and sincere friend to others like Jesus was. I asked you at the beginning of this message to imagine with me a, a friend here named Beckett who has same-sex attraction. Next week, Beckett will literally be sitting in this chair. Beckett is a man who shares his story of living in a gay lifestyle and yet he came to know Jesus Christ and has surrendered his life to Christ. And he wrote a book called A Change of Affections. And so he'll be coming here next week as we continue this conversation. And instead of me being a heterosexual man trying to help you understand more and more, I'd love for you to hear from a man who has same-sex attraction, who also loves Jesus with all his heart. And I know there's a lot of questions that you still have that didn't get answered in, in this time. I still have a lot that I wanted to share that I couldn't share in this time. But I want to ask you, if you would write down a question in the comment card in front of you, throw it in the offering basket as it comes around. I'll collect these, I'll gather them, and I'll give them to Beckett to, to share with us next week his, his views and his perspectives. And we'll continue on in this conversation. But listen, people may never let you know how heavy their cross is until you let them know how safe and sincere of a friend you're willing to be and one who's willing to help them carry that cross. Amen? Amen. I don't know why some people are given greater struggles and heavier crosses than others. I don't know why. But I do know this, that God has a divine purpose, and he wants to put his glory on display in the life of a person who chooses to follow Jesus. I know that. How do I know? Because I know that in all things, all things, including heterosexuality and homosexuality. In all things, God works all things together for good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, I mean, talk about purpose, right? Remember when Jesus was going to be crucified on the cross at Calvary? And talk about purpose. Like all of the Old Testament prophecies were about to be fulfilled on this one cross. All the things that the Jews have been promised about a coming Messiah and, and salvation was going to take place on this cross. All God's divine plans and purposes before the foundations of the world to express his love for the world was going to take place in this one climatic event. Christ's crucifixion. His death on the cross. Right there on Calvary. God forbid that his plan ever be thwarted. God forbid that Jesus was ever cut short from making it to that cross. We need the cross. We need that cross. And yet Jesus, having been mocked and beaten, flogged, stripped down, spit on, barely had enough strength to walk himself to the cross, let alone carry that cross on which your sins and my sins would be paid on which my life and your life would be redeemed. But thank God for this one dude from Cyrene 
They call him Simon from Cyrene. Who in the world knows who Simon of Cyrene is? Nobody knows. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all knew who he was. For Luke 23 tells us this. Luke 23 writes this. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Thank God that there was a guy named Simon who by God's sovereignty was in the right place at the right time to help Jesus carry his cross. Because on that cross where Jesus would eventually die is the place where God's divine purpose and his plan, where God's glorious grace would be put on display through the suffering of Jesus Christ. And who knows that maybe God has you, South Bay Community Church, or maybe God has you, Carrie, or maybe God has you, Paul, maybe God has you, Adrian, to be at the right place at the right time by God's sovereignty to come alongside somebody like Simon of Cyrene to help them carry the cross so that God's glorious grace would be on display in that person's life. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow with me? And so, God, we humbly bow our heads because we recognize that that the cross was carried for our shame and for our sins and for the things that I personally have done to offend you. Thank you, God, for the cross. We also thank you that Simon was there to help Jesus carry the cross because that changed everything. And God, I pray that if you're calling any of us to come alongside another person because that cross is too heavy for that weary person to carry alone, I pray that we would do so, that we would be filled with compassion and love, that you would take away any evil judgment or criticism in our hearts and we would love each other and put the gospel on display for the world to see how deep, how deep your love is for us, God. So, Lord, thank you, God. Use us for your namesake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.